21CL Radio. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me on today's show. You're listening to the Education Vanguard, and I'm your host, Michael Bull. Just got back from an exciting week at the 21st Century Learning Conference in Hong Kong. Ooh, I am a bit tired, but I did a ton of interviews while I was there and got those coming up for you. The first one we got is with Jaku Jobert. He's from South Africa with a group called the Kuros School Group. South Africa is an interesting country with an interesting history behind it. As educators, a window into the world of the school system in this part of the world is sure to be interesting. I spoke with Jaku Jobert, head of IT at the Kiro Schools Group in South Africa. With multiple schools already and looking to double their buildings, Jaku explains how they look to move forward and serve a population of mixed-income students. This program was recorded live at the 21st Century Learning Conference in Hong Kong. Enjoy the conversation. Okay, Jaku Jobert from uh, Kiro Schools, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Michael. It's nice to be here. All right. If uh, somebody doesn't know, you're from South Africa, which is in Africa, which, by the way, all Americans out there, Africa is not a country. It has multiple countries in it. And that's the, kind of the running joke we have. Tell us a little bit about your school program, and that'll give us an opportunity to talk about uh, education in South Africa generally. So um, I'm at a school that's part of the Kira Group, and um, it's a company, in fact, that has up to 40 schools. We've got 40 schools at the, 42 schools at the moment, and... Um, it's a group that identified a need in South Africa for um, accessible, independent, or private education. And so what happened was in South Africa in the past that you'd have um, your top, um, almost like international-level schools, but they're very expensive. And so the Kira Group realized that there's a market for upcoming middle-class families to also want their kids to go to a private school or independent school. Even lower-income families, the Kira has, has now structured a form of independent school that they can get access to and that they can afford. So what is the South African education, at least public education, like? And then we can get into why the Curo Group would even be needed. Um, I think it's like in most countries where you do have politics part of the whole educational spectrum. And we do have very good public schools in South Africa. And um, um, especially in the big cities um, like Pretoria and Johannesburg and Cape Town, you have very strong public schools. the, f- the reason why you'd want to be in an independent school is that we are detached from any government um, oversight in the sense that we can go f- with technology, for example, using tablets in the classroom, um, um, using flip classroom spaces. So where the government can take some time to get these initiatives in place and get the infrastructure in place, a private company like Kiro has the resources to do these initiatives um, quickly and to try and keep up with the rest of the world. So do you find it's not an issue of it being the national curriculum that's forcing schools to go away they don't, maybe as a teacher you don't want to go, or is it like you mentioned that simply in a public school the bureaucracy moves at a pace that's too slow so you can't innovate? Which, which do you think it is, or is it both? Um, a bit of both. Um, I think also that resources... In South Africa we've got a school system where you can actually have different public schools charging a different school fee. So um, what would happen is in South Africa, the more popular schools or the schools that are doing better would have an um, increased school fee. So the school fee gets loaded to privatize the school in a sense. So um, um, ultimately, though, it boils down to resources, especially if you're looking at um, IT labs or the use of technology in the school or um, providing um, 
IT support for schools. Um, I think there's the, the public school teachers need to be very creative within the constrictions that they've got to, to make it work. Okay, so maybe and you've mentioned technology a couple times here, so maybe we should clarify what is your role at your school, and I think technology is going to be part of that. Um, I'm the head of IT at my school, so how it works in the Kiru Group is we've got a, a head office, and they've got the big kahunas there and the chiefs, and they make the calls, and they've got the IT staff there, and they implement the systems, and per school, you then have a head of IT, and um, it's my job on the grassroots level to get the things working and implement the stuff. I'm also the head of culture, and... and um, I teach both IT and drama, for which I apologize. I blame my background and my parents. Um, it's not my fault. It just kind of happened. So, yeah, I'm a teacher, part um, manager of IT, part manager of culture. You know, I, actually, I think it's good, personally, that you're involved in drama as well, because uh, it, in the, if you're a technology person, you're often uh, in, the, in the role of change management, and often the technology people are the worst people, social skills-wise, to do that. So if you're a drama person, you know, perhaps you can actually have a conversation or pretend to have one, whatever acting role that you're actually playing. What's it like to be a teacher in a typical public school in South Africa? And then we could talk about the difference between uh, where you're teaching. Well, Michael, I'd say, first of all, uh, you've got to realize that at times, the drama can just slip out, and uh, it can be a bit inappropriate, you know, because you're trying to have a conversation. Um, just to get back to your question, uh, Michael, um, I think, generally speaking, teaching in South Africa is good. I think that um, we're moving away from a past where it's been frowned upon a bit. It's not that esteemed job, so we're moving um, away from that. It, it's getting better pay and the people are starting to respect teachers again and so forth and as I said depending on the school you're at and even with the public schools depending at which public schools you're at you will have a different set of resources depending on the school fee and the community you're at so um, it, it's it, it's based to a large extent at the specific school you're at in South Africa. Okay my experience in the US I worked at an independent school was they didn't pay better but there were better places to work. And so I, why would teachers want to go to independent schools such as yours? Is it, is it parallel the reasons they have in the United States, or are there other reasons? Um, no, I think actually you, um, it's exactly the same with us um, because, as I said, the, the government is starting to teach teachers better and um, the packages are getting better. But in terms of classroom size um, and in terms of working environment, in terms of resources, um, just the school buildings in general, the maintenance, all that things makes it a better working environment for teachers. And being a big group, collaboration. Um, I mean, we've got 42 schools currently across South Africa. And when we've got a, a conference just with our Kira schools, it's a massive do with a bunch of people there. And we share resources. And the Kira group is also constantly working to get the network right and up and running. So we've got subject heads across the Kiro group. So there's a subject head for, for IT and drama, and these people will try and manage the groups, teachers. So it's a massive amount of infrastructure you gain being at a Kiro school. Okay, unrelated question, but uh, so w which person do you have more interesting conversations with, the uh, head of IT in your world or the head of drama? Well, the thing is to just get the IT teachers speaking. It's usually on WhatsApp. Or um, I've had some wonderful uh, conversations with people on Facebook. Um, but ultimately, it's the drama in me that reaches it. And I've got other accents as well. I can do, um, you've, you've got the classic Afrikaner accent. And Afrikaners listening to this might be a bit offended. 
especially when I tell them that I'm a Blue Bull supporter, you know, rugby is very big in my country, and um, the best team being the Blue Bull, obviously. Okay. So, okay, question specifically about the Curo Group. Did they start out as your typical independent school that was for the people who had substantial means, or were they always looking to work with middle-income and lower-income people? Um, they started off as a typical independent school in a sense, and I think the, the difference in the Curo setup and other independent schools is we had a massive um, investors company um, invest in the school. They bought the... the there were three two or three curious schools initially and then um, there was a, a company that PSG that bought the rights to the school and they've had this massive they were listed on the stock exchange and they bought this system and they started to to take that model of schooling um, and they started to roll it out on big scale so um, it started small with one or two schools um, and I think the 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 setup in the school in terms of ethos and stuff like that is initially what pulled people to the school and made it work. Um, I'm not sure what the, the fees were with the starting school and exactly which market it catered it for. It started in Cape Town, but, um, or in Durbanville, but um, I think the, the, the product worked and um, that's why the, the PSG group ultimately said, you know what, we're going to see this, this t- form of school, it works and the buildings work and that's why they took it and they ran with it. So parents want to, at times are willing to pay to send their kids to school. You mentioned there are some good public schools. I guess it could be similar in the U.S. Different areas have better schools. In the U.S., we face problems with it's hard politically to change, let's say, a school or fund it or whatever. It's often easier as a parent to say, look, I'm just going to pay to send my child. Is it a similar situation in South Africa as well? I mean, what is driving people to actually pay for something that is actually free? Why are they willing to pay for it? Now, interestingly enough, the English community in South Africa has a long history of private schools. So they're fine with the concept of an independent school and what you get and so forth. The Afrikaans community, um, it's a very strange concept because we come from a, a history of very good public schools being provided. So Afrikaans parents will be quite, is quite confused. When they come to the school, they want to know black and white, but what do I get extra? All right? Where is that money going to? Okay, and and in the English community, it's been so long part of their their um, culture that they don't have that issue. Um, so I think specifically in, in my context for the Afrikaans parent, it's a, it was a mind shift to make, and um, it boils down to the facts. And if you look at our smaller classroom sizes, I mean that's a very straightforward, undeniable factor. To, to measure that now, I mean, what is the um, advancement in terms of your child and what great advancement, that's the more difficult. But I mean, black and white, we can say, look at our facilities, look at the 21st century learning we are conducting, look at our um, IT infrastructure. Those are, on paper, the things that you get for taking your learner or your child to an independent school versus a government school. All right, you mentioned you have 40, what, 42 schools, I think you said, right now. Uh, the, we talked other times about growth. What do you think the goals are long-term as far as numbers of schools? Well, um, currently the, the group communicated that they want 80 schools by 2020 with 80,000 learners. And um, we had our first school open in Vintuk across the border in Namibia. So um, I think going at the current rate that we'll probably get there, 80 schools, and from there um, 
you know, it'll be interesting to see where the group goes, but, but it is a company, and, and so it is connected to profit and stock market and share prices and so forth. So um, as long as teaching keeps on being good business, um, I don't see why they would stop necessarily. Now, have you worked in public schools at one time before this? Yes, I did. Um, most of the teachers at my school were first public teachers going to the private sector now. All right, so this is maybe a common question that teachers would have. So the concept of a proprietary school where they're a business operating and they need to operate at a profit for their shareholders in this case. Often schools don't have shareholders, but in this case it does specifically. Does that seem strange as a public school teacher to now shift over to that mindset? And is there ever any concerns or should people have concerns or worries about that once they get involved in it? Um, That's a fantastic question. I'd just like to compliment you on your quality of questions. Um, for most teachers moving from the public sector, that was a, a concern because it's, it's about the ethics. I mean, when it, when it gets right down to it, what decision will the company make? Will they choose profit or will they choose better education? Um, what is, has been working for the Curio Group thus far is that they've split the financials and running of the school. They've split. And the um, p- people in charge of the schooling are all all teachers, right? So they're from the industry. And... Um, what the group realized is the better the teaching, the better the product, the better the profits ultimately. So there were concerns um, for me myself going to now this, this um, private sector, but um, the fact that the people in charge are all former educators and they are people with a heart for teaching, um, we have not seen it in any case where um, profit has been leveraged over the highest quality of education. That's interesting that you point that out. I mean, if you look at some schools internationally, generally actually the larger schools in most cities are the nonprofit versions. And, and you'll see the profit versions, well, you'll, hear, you'll talk to some teachers sometimes where they'll feel like, ah, oh, no, they want to save money or this or that. And so they don't actually get as many people and the company doesn't make as much money as it could. So it seems like your guys may be a little bit wiser than that. Yeah, definitely, because ultimately to, to do something like at my school, we have now got a one-to-one tablet ratio. And using a bring-your-own-device policy, um, we went to soft-copy textbooks. And to do that, the infrastructure you need, the support you need, it's, it's far above and beyond a single school um, with just the normal uh, um, subsidizing from the government. You need a lot of money to actually put these things in place. And um, another example of where... where it's a good thing is my school currently, we've got 400 learners, but we've got the facilities of a school with 1,000 learners. I mean, we've got an indoor swimming pool and we've got an astro hockey field and we've got... Um, the, the fact that the Curio Group is, is, um, has the, the financial base that it has enables us as schools to go far and beyond what we would traditionally have done. Even as private independent schools, funding is always an issue. And now every Curio school has, in a sense, a big brother who cares for them and can assist them and get them through dips and so forth. Now, you mentioned there's different levels of income that are able to go to the school. Is there different levels, are the schools staffed, or is there different quality levels based on whether somebody's uh, from lower or middle or higher income? How does the, how does the company deal with that? Um, now, in terms of staff, it's, uh, um, we've got the same um, level of teaching across the spectrum. Um, what what would typically happen is your lower income schools will not have the facilities that the middle schools have. For example, the, middle, the, the tier two schools would not necessarily have an on-site IT support staff um, between three um, 
of those schools, they would share a off-site IT support staff that comes in when there's problems. Your top-tier schools will have an on-site IT support staff. So they differentiate in terms of the facilities and um, they make tweaks towards it in terms of class size as well. There's a bit of differenti differentiation between the first tier and the second tier. So, so the most important thing that we found is that when parents sign in their, their learners at our schools, that they from the start know exactly what it's about, what do they get for their money, what, um, so that people aren't confused as to when they sign in their the, the child, this is what they're getting. And um, we've been having successes across all three tiers. The top tier, what usually happens is the Curie School would buy an existing um, very posh uh, uh, private school, and they would keep their ethos, and they would keep their name, and they would keep all the things, but they're not just part of the Curie Group. Okay, that's interesting understanding. Okay, let's do a final question here. Uh, well, maybe a couple more, but uh, I have sort of an odd, perhaps an odd question for you. So I want to ask you what people who are teachers in South Africa, whether at the Curio School or generally, what do you think they complain about? So in the U.S., teachers complain about a lot of pressure from testing standards and not getting enough respect in the classroom. Sometimes they complain about the money, but I think that's just more of a symptom of the other things. International school teachers usually complain about, I can't get the school to go the direction I want it to go, which in a sense is a good thing that the school is open to the ideas and they're actually just struggling to get their idea to be the one that gets to move around. That's going to be the same at any school. It doesn't really matter. It's not necessarily the school. What, are you, what do people complain about in South Africa, whether they're in the public or private school system? Um, I think in South Africa we've got a very strong, I actually don't know about the rest of the world, but in South Africa we've got a very strong extramural um, drive. So teachers are involved in extramural activities like coaching, sports, being at cultural. It's very strong and we've also got a very strong sense of competition in South Africa. So I think one of the main um, uh, stickly points that South African teachers have is getting time to do everything because we do require a very high standard of teaching but that requires time for them to prepare and get to their lessons ready and so forth. So I think most um, teachers in South Africa does feel a bit split between the expectations um, after school and the expectations at school. And, um, yeah, as you said, salary is always a, a hot topic at any braai with teachers. It's interesting, though, uh, my wife's in the, the corporate sector, and um, when we get together, she's an accountant, and the accountants get together and they have chats. Something that always pops up is what I really want to do. I really want to farm. I really want to do this. Teachers never say they want to do anything else, but they moan about the salary. So the salary is terrible, but they never say, I really want to do it. So, so um, I think in that sense, we're very blessed in terms of job satisfaction. And um, teachers generally just want their schools to run better. And they want to be equipped and given the resources or the time they needed to do their job well. And I think in that sense, the, the concerns of South African teachers are the same as, as those teachers of the world. Okay, wonderful. Okay, this really is going to be the last question. So you're a younger guy, and uh, you flew all the way in from South Africa. We're here in Hong Kong at the 21st Century Learning Conference together. So you took an 11-hour flight. Where are you looking to head? If we were to talk again sometime in the future, what sort of career path, and this is going to be recorded, so maybe I have to be careful, <laughs> what sort of career path are you looking to go and move towards? Well, what's wonderful about my group uh, is that... Um, the, the, the current public system, schooling system, has had a, a couple of shifts in terms of um, where you can go with your career in teaching. Um, 
in previous, uh, previously you can go to the head of a region and then you can be the head of this. So they added a bit of a ladder which was broken down and, and changed a bit. The Curio Group now provides a national platform once again for you to ultimately become the head of a region and then for you to become the head of this and the head of that. So within the Curio Group, um, they've opened up again a lot of possibilities for a teacher wanting to further his career because traditionally up until now, the past 15 years, you got to the principal level and that's pretty much it. That's as far as you can go as a teacher. So um, I'd say my goals would be to move up the ladder in whichever way. Um, if not, I will just stagnate and be an IT manager for the rest of my life because um, I do like it. It is fun. And yeah, wherever wherever opportunity takes me, I suppose. Okay, fantastic. I was speaking with uh, Jaku Jobert uh, from the Curo Schools in South Africa. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Michael, and also just from South Africa. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been fantastic. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com. <laughs>